welcome. We are the Ladies of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rebecca. Thank you for joining us each week as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. Hello. Hi. Hey, guys. To, I was about to say September, August's bonus Jonas. Yeah, we've got a bonus episode. Normally, you would hear somebody extra with us. Not today. And said we're being extra. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what's new? (laughs) So when I covered Bill Ramsey, the werewolf of someplace, someplace in England, we realized that we all, for some reason, kind of were drawn to Ed and Lorraine Warren uh-huh. when we started talking about them. So we thought that we would kind of try something a little bit different and then let us all cover parts of a story, I guess. We're just going to collab. We're collabing. I'm excited because I'm going to do what I always do and tell you the story of someone, or in this case, someone's. And then Rebecca and Tiffany are going a little bit out of their comfort zone for this one. I mean, for me, not so much, but for Tiffany, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, How often do you think I would cover a haunting? Never. Although today you did say you would like to experience a haunted house. And an exorcism. Yeah. Are you okay? Here's the deal. I had a lot of fun with this, and I really want to go visit something Ashley's going to talk about. So, (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me. I may be going through a life crisis. I may be possessed. We may have to try an exorcism. (laughs) But guess what? I know an exorcist. I know a guy. Hey. P.O. Box number 26. (laughs) Holly Springs, Georgia. There's a zip code. Three zero something something. something. Send us holy water. What did you say last time we were talking about the P.O. Box? Hashtag. hashtag. <laughs> no hashtag. Anyway. <laughs> P.O. Box. Hashtag 26. Oh, God. I still get angry. Do you? It, I do. Here's fire radiating. <sighs> Exercise me. No That's one. what she said. Okay. <laughs> me? All right. Let's get started, shall we? Ed and Lorraine Warren were American paranormal investigators and authors associated with a bunch of pretty famous paranormal stories. What? You don't say. I know. If you haven't heard of them, pause. (laughs) This may not be the show for you. (laughs) You're welcome to stay. But you don't make your own opinion, but I'm just giving you a heads up. Fair warning. Edward Warren Miney was born on September 7th, 1926. He was the son of Pauline Dennis and Frank Edward Miney. So I couldn't find anywhere when he started going by Warren as the last name. I'm guessing it became like his stage name. I was about to ask. I tried to find it when they actually decided to make the... But Lorraine Warren. Okay. But like a recurring theme is some details you can't confirm. No. Yeah, I found that too. Yeah. So his name is actually Edward Warren Miney. So I can't tell. I don't know if it was a stage name choice or what happened there. But his father, Frank, was a state trooper and devout Catholic and enrolled Ed in a private Catholic school, as most people in the 20s and 30s did with their kids. The Warren family lived in a house that was rented out by a landlady who did not approve of dogs or children and would often be caught throwing things at them in annoyance. Oh, when Ed was five, when the landlady passed away and he saw his first apparition when she materialized in his bedroom closet a few days later. Hail no. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, did that come out loud? I used my outside voice. No, thank you. (laughs) Uh -uh. Um, Ed would experience many paranormal encounters and would choose to stay outside in the freezing or rainy weather rather than be in the house alone. Which, who leaves a five-year-old at the house by themselves? 
I guess it was the 20s, different time. One of Ed's supernatural visitors was a nun, his father's sister. Ed had expressed a desire to become a priest, but the nun told him that he would not. Rather, he would consult priests and would do work with more than a hundred of them. Oh, foreshadowing. That's oddly convenient. Right? What? The nun knows. I mean, I don't have an opinion on this yet. Please tell me more, Ashley. Does not sound like you do. Why would you have a opinion on paranormal investigators and demonologists? Not huh. all of them, just these. Flat Earth. If it makes you feel better, I have opinions too. And I think Rebecca and I are on polar opposite spectrums. <laughs> As we do. When Ed was 12, his family finally moved out of their haunted home. Although he had come to terms with the spirits there, his exposure to the paranormal just fueled his desire for more investigations and confrontations. Just three blocks away, Lorraine Rita Moran, or Morin, I'm not sure, was born on January 31st, 1927. She attended Laurelton Hall, a Catholic girls' school in nearby Milford. And it was while at school that she discovered that her gift of clairvoyance was not shared by everyone. She remarked to a fellow student, look, Sister Joseph's lights are brighter than Mother Superior's. Warren said she was seeing the human aura around Mother Superior and thought that everyone could see it. That's got to be really weird. Like just going about your business and being like, your light's a lot brighter today. And everybody's like, what the fuck are you smoking? (laughs) Uh, I changed my light bulb yesterday, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal. We were getting rid of the fluorescents, not making them brighter. So at age 16, Ed met Lorraine while working as an usher at the Colonel Theater in Bridgeport on June 23rd, 1943. Ed offered to walk Lorraine and her two friends home and also offered to buy them Cokes. After she declined the offer to walk her home, Ed nodded his understanding, then happily ran across the street to return to his own home. Lorraine in later years recalled, quote, when he ran across the street, I didn't see a slender young man of 16. I physically saw Ed as a grown man, a man that I would marry. In fact, when I returned home that evening, I wrote in my diary, today I met the man I'm going to marry. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, that's unnerving. Why? I don't know. That's I don't like that. Oh, but I like that. I feel like that. I think that was sweet. Yeah, it gives me the tinglies. Also, it, what it year was that? It gives me the spookies. Uh, they met in 1943. On his 17th birthday, Ed enlisted in the U.S. Navy, and he served with the armed Navy Guard aboard a merchant marine vessel. Ed was granted a survivor's leave in May of 1945 after he and his shipmates had to abandon ship after colliding with a tanker in the North Atlantic. When Lorraine learned that Ed had saved the life of a fellow sailor during the crash, she decided to marry him right away. He and Lorraine married on May 22nd, 1945, during his survivor's leave in Bridgeport. They were both 18. I saw some things that said he took a three-day survivor leave and some that said 30. Again, (laughs) with the Warrens, there are a lot of things that cannot be confirmed. Leave their loose ends alone. After Ed finished his service in the Navy, he returned home and he and Lorraine had one child together, their daughter, Judy. Judy would go on to spend most of her childhood with her grandmother, Georgiana, while her parents traveled. She was enrolled in Catholic school and her schoolmates never knew about her parents' work. In an interview with USA Today, she said, quote, when I was in sixth grade, I asked my father, what should I say you do? And he said, I'm a landscape artist. Tell them that. When the nun heard that, she put me in charge of the class plants for the rest of the year. Oh. I don't know if they lived or died. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, that's Poor Judy. Cute. <laughs> after the war, Ed attended the Perry Art School affiliated with Yale University. But after two years, he withdrew from school to travel around New England, painting landscapes and searching for haunted houses. When the couple would hear of a house that might be haunted, he would set up outside of it, paint it, and then offer to give the painting to the homeowners. 
But what Ed particularly liked was to be invited inside the haunted house by its owners and allowed to look around, which happened often when they presented the homeowners with the gift and explained what drew them to the home. Oh, 1940s, 50s. Sorry. I was like, that would not fly today. <laughs> You'd be like, bitch, why are you painting my house? And if you're going to be out there, can you just like paint the house? Right. Like the right. exterior for me? That would be great. I just got it pressure washed, but it's still a little dingy. So <laughs> you're going to add a coat. Go for it. Eventually, Ed's experiences as a ghost hunter and the wealth of information he had collected led the Warrens away from art to the full-time pursuit of paranormal consultation. Frequently, they had been the only ones in whom the frightened owners of a haunted house had confided the strange occurrences happening there. The Warrens found themselves giving advice and consolation, not only to the homeowners, but to interested strangers. Finding that negative energy associated with teenagers and young adults attracted spirit activity, the Warrens began giving lectures at colleges in order to encourage their listeners to avoid unwittingly inviting trouble into their lives and family homes. Are things like this still happening at colleges like do you think you could have a ghost hunter give a lecture at a college today i I don't know as we established in the live i never went (laughs) so i I would imagine so don't know i mean you were homeschooled but not for college so that is not how that works correct i think Um, they offer like paranormal studies i think they do but it might just because i was like stem focused it just might not have either been offered or wasn't on my radar fair you met us too late Sure. (laughs) Um, After an invitation to investigate a site, the Warrens arranged to visit as quickly as possible. Once at the site, they usually split up with Ed conducting careful and thorough interviews of all persons involved and Lorraine walking the house to see whether she could discern spirit activity through her psychic sense. She preferred to be allowed to roam freely and to concentrate on the bedrooms. Lorraine usually detected spirit presence almost immediately and knew whether the spirits were earthbound human ghosts or apparitions in human demonic influences. That was the easiest way. Quote, <laughs> that was the easiest way to sit on the edge of the bed, she told the Irish Independent. You know, when you go to bed at night, how all the things go through your mind? That's all recorded. You think these things out. What you have experienced, you go to bed, it's played out for you again. The moment between waking and sleep. Quote. That's creepy. (laughs) Like real creepy. Yeah. It's like she's basically says that like your mind is like a movie projector. And it like plays everything back for you. Oh, no. Don't like that. Um, And whoever's watching what's going on in my mind won't like it either. You. You watch it. (laughs) Oh, no. No, I don't like living it. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Take it back. The Warrens stress that God does not let evil visit humans, but the humans must in some way invite the malevolence. Oh, I said it right. (laughs) (laughs) Into their lives by toying with the supernatural, like conjuring Ouija boards, seances, black witchcraft, and satanic rituals. Right, bitches? That's why we aren't going to have a Ouija in the studio. Or by sinking into negative depressive states. Oh, Oh, no. sage people sage so like Um, if you're gonna have like a emo jams session because you're all up in your feels just like have sage with you just maybe you know take a little precaution beforehand whatever your cleansing ritual of choice is because the black parade might seem safe but like let's be sure (laughs) right it is it's the call of demonic presence when i was a young boy (laughs) (laughs) i turned into a zombie but (laughs) 
That's why I put my Palo Santo on the record player and just let it spin while the record plays. Could you imagine emo zombies so and like their cringe. skinny jeans and they're just like, mm, is, I want to be loved. Is that not the Michael Jackson music video? I mean, was that emo? Or actually, no, no, it's the Family Force 5 oh, music yes. video. That's what it is. That would not conjure it would conjure a lot of things. No. They are a good Christian band, young ma'am. Young ma'am. <laughs> young lady. I mean, am I though? Um, so yeah, you can conjure them by toying with supernatural, sinking in depressive states, or by becoming obsessed with a person or place. Shit. <laughs> or sorry, I said a dirty word. <laughs> I love like how half of that is like what you what y'all kind of like toy with. The other half is just y'all's state of being. That's a regular <laughs> weekend for me. Right? Maybe that's why we are so pulled to these things. They're like, come on, just come on. You're Work already up. here, honey. Just, yes. just one just step look at closer. Me. I'm here. You're here. Just focus look. on me. Um, Ed referred to this these permissions as the law of invitation and the law of attraction once allowed to enter the demonic i just put the demonic the demonic you know presence creature friend whatever word you want to put there takes control in three stages infestation oppression and possession let me remove those from my notes (laughs) (laughs) you're lucky there um in severe circumstances the final outcome can be death hey (gasps) Dum, 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 dum. The Warren's objective was to document and bring closure through the clergy. From their research, they identified different types of spirits requiring different remedies. They helped identify the manifestation of demonic infestation, oppression, and possession so that trained exorcists could work to rid the victim of the evil influence. They would help the afflicted through support, blessing, and prayer. And although they did not perform exorcisms themselves, they did work closely with exorcists and assist them. They strongly warned against anyone trying to perform exorcisms independently. The Warrens estimate that they investigated more than 8,000 cases in more than 50 years of work. (sighs) Besides their demonology rescue work, lectures, and guidance of supernatural tours, the Warrens co-founded the New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952. It is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. According to the Warrens, the New England Society uses a variety of individuals, including medical doctors, researchers, police officers, nurses, college students, and members of the clergy in its investigations. Some of these investigations have been sensationalized. What? (laughs) (laughs) Such as the Donovan case. Uh, Neither of you are covering that one. Okay. Which stemmed from a teenage daughter's invitation for infestation through her Ouija board. The identification of a ghost at the United States Military Academy at West Point and Lorraine's help to the spirit to pass on to the other side. And the study of cemeteries and how they are gathering points for spirits. However, the most famous and most controversial case the Warrens encountered took place in 1971 and was the possession of the Lutz home in Amneville, Long Island. It became the basis for the 2013 box office hit, The Conjuring. Hey, that also starts, the beginning of that movie has a reference to my case. What? Yeah. It's all coming to full circle. It's like the same people worked on it or something. (laughs) It's magic how that happens. 
The Warrens drew considerable publicity in 1981 for their involvement in a murder case in Connecticut in which the defendant, Arnie Johnson, sought to argue that he had been possessed by the devil. The judge in the case dismissed the argument and Mr. Johnson was convicted of manslaughter. The Warrens didn't charge for their investigations. They made money from movie and television licensing rights, books, lectures, and tours of their occult museum. They authored many books about the paranormal and their private investigations into various reports of paranormal activity. Stories of ghost huntings popularized by the Warrens have been adapted or have indirectly inspired dozens of films, television series, and documentaries, including 17 films in the Amneville Horror Series. Jesus. And seven in the Conjuring Universe. On March 26, 2001, Ed Warren collapsed as a result of heart problems after a trip to Japan to assist a Buddhist in exorcism techniques. He was hospitalized for a year and was in a coma for several months. He spent the next four years under the home care of Lorraine, who was at his side when he passed away on August 23, 2006. He was buried with full military honors. After his passing, Lorraine claimed she received signs from Ed on several occasions. Quote, once while we were investigating a case of demonic activity alone after Ed passed, I felt a hand grab a hold of my hand while I was in the home. It felt like electrical energy tingling through my hand and fingers. Another incident occurred at the Bluebird. How did she know that just wasn't another spirit? Because she knew what his hand felt like. If it felt like electrical tingling while they were alive, that may have been one of the reasons he had they heart had, issues. Or why they had such a healthy relationship. Hey, girl. Another incident occurred at the Bluebird restaurant in Easton. Ed would always take her there for breakfast. Ed always used to whistle when he was happy and at peace, such as when he would paint his New England scenes and representations of haunted houses. On September 7, 2016, she went to Bluebird to honor his birthday. She walked in and asked for a table for two, but she was alone. Moments after sitting, the owner came out and said the dishwasher had come into work early and while alone in the kitchen heard someone whistling in the dining room. When he went to the dining area, no one was there, but he definitely heard a man whistling. When he went back to the kitchen, the whistling started again. The man was so spooked by this, he called the owner and told her to come in right away or he was going to leave. The owner asked that he not leave and that she would be right there. The owner brought the dishwasher into the dining room to relay what happened to him to Miss Warren and Lorraine remarked, well, I guess Ed got here before I did. Oh, that's kind of sweet and a really very sweet. Yeah, I like it. Throughout their multitude of cases, the Warrens collected trinkets and totems they claim were defiled by evil, locking them in the museum in the basement of their home to keep them safe from the public. The eccentric collection contains everything from an alleged vampire's coffin to a child's tombstone, which has been said to be used as a satanic altar. Death curses, demonic masks, and psychic photographs line the walls of the museum, accented by a Halloween store's bounty of plastic props. Until her death on April 18, 2019, at the age of 92, Lorraine ran the Warrens Occult Museum in the back of her house in Monroe, Connecticut, with the help of her son-in-law, Tony Spira. The museum has since closed due to a zoning violation, because they were running it out of the basement of their home. Do they have any plans to reopen? Because I root. I couldn't find anything. I think they want to move it somewhere, but I couldn't find anything about... I know this is going to sound really weird coming from me, but... I really want to go. I do too. I think it would be fascinating. I don't know. Or I wonder if like Zach Baggins could do like a. I'm sure Zach has already done an episode touring. No, no, no. I mean like uh, at his museum. Uh, Like he could open a wing. I don't want to go to his museum. I don't. Come on. I don't. Dibbic box. What's the difference? Dibbic boxes. Dibbic boxes. Uh, 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 No. 
I don't want to go to his. I don't know why his freaks me out and then Ed and Lorraine's done. You know what? I do know because I watched a lot of videos of Ed and Lorraine when they were old and they were adorable. And now I just want to go like preserve their memory and be like, oh, you guys, you did such a good job. Look at you saving all these people. You're ageist, ma'am. I'm look, I may be slightly ageist, but it's in their favor. So it's fine. Um, if I were going against them, then it would be rude. What's your next point, Ashley? <laughs> Uh, I don't have one. So, <laughs> would we like to take a drink break and then let Tiffany and Rebecca tell us about two of the cases? Yes, please. Thank you for that. that. Uh, shall I mix up some spirits for us? <laughs> yeah. Shake it up a little bit with the Ouija board. No. Shake it, it with a Ouija board. That would probably piss somebody off. That's where the spirits come from. Maybe not. Okay, let's put some crystals in our drinks. (laughs) Roll the beautiful bean footage. (laughs) Do you have an interest in the paranormal? Do you find joy in creepy things? Do you delight in terror? That's not going to work. My name is Ryan, and I am joined weekly by my friends Alex and Chad to dive deep into the stranger parts of life in an effort to understand more about the world we live in. Come listen to our podcast, That's Strange. You can find us in all of your podcast players. So go, listen, now, and please review. We'd really appreciate it. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that lovely drink break. We did. Yeah. We learned Ashley still can't say behavioral. So, uh, you guys started to learn about an Ed and Lorraine Warren case? What? Shocking. Tiffany's covering a supernatural case. Is this her first one? A who? Um... Is it my first one? I feel like I covered a ghost one before. Not paranormal coitus. I thought to say that one. Ghost sex. Let's see. You've covered sage. You've covered festivals. You. I tried to cover the haunted hotel in Atlanta, but there wasn't really much there. The, the fire? fire. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. But which one are we learning about? Their most famous one. Actual. No, that's Amityville. Second most famous one. A famous one. A famous one they yeah, had. That, okay. We're gonna learn about Annabelle, the haunted doll. My stomach just dropped for some reason. Tell me. I could have brought my doll. No. No. They could be friends. Ashley Faye. No. It's not haunted. She's happy. uh Uh-uh. No. Keep her mean. Keep her at your house with your haunted ass mirror on your altar. (gasps) I can put her on my altar. Oh, my God. I'm not coming over to visit anymore. I'm sorry. I can surround her with salt. So, Tiffany, can we talk about a haunted doll now? Oh, my God. Let's please. Um, Wait, what? Uh, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. How does mine make you uncomfortable? But yet you can talk about this one and you want to go see it. Because this one isn't going to reach through her computer. Is it? Although there isn't there cases of like talking about her causes things to happen. No, that is another doll that we're not going to talk about right now. Whose name is another name for Bob. Dick? No. Robert? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't so appear, Annabelle, does he? the doll, uh, <laughs> appears in a couple different movies. It's part of the Conjuring series. So there was Annabelle in 2014, Annabelle Creation 2017, Annabelle Comes Home 2019. And she had a brief, like, what's it called? Where you appear? Appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> brief appearance in the Conjuring in 2013. Oh, Jesus. But unlike in the movies, she's not that 
haunted ass ugly looking porcelain doll that's creepy AF. She's a raggedy and doll. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen one, they're actually really cute. I have. They're at my grandmother's house. It's awful. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're actually really cute, unless they're with old people. She also has, like, the male version, too. It's like Raggedy Rock- Andy. And Andy, yeah, yeah. They would sit in the hallway. That's why I don't like sleeping upstairs. Because there were dolls at the end of the hallway? Well, she has porcelain dolls, just, like, in places. But, like, that one specifically had, like, Raggedy Ann and Andy. And again, you'll have problems with my friend. What? I have problems with all sorts of dolls. Like, I don't, I don't do, I do Barbie dolls. Barbie dolls are cool, but the rest of the dolls can go F themselves. Okay. I'm Barbie dolls don't look real. No. It, but American Girl dolls are fine. So, one of the podcasts I listened to gave a brief history on Raggedy Ann dolls, and it was really cool, so we may get back to that at the end. But we're going to talk about the Annabelle doll, okay? So, in 1970, a mother purchased an antique Raggedy Ann doll from a hobby store. The doll had been a birthday present for her daughter, Donna, and Donna was turning 28 and about to graduate nursing school, so it was just like, here's this really pretty thing. Okay. Ashley gave me a look. I, If my parents gave me like a Barbie doll at 32, I'd be like, this is really sweet, you guys. Thank you. Um, You gave me a Barbie wedding set. We gave each other Barbie wedding sets for our wedding. So uh-huh. I don't know. It's, whatever, I'm sure there's some connection there. Like maybe she played with it when she was a kid or something. And it yeah. was like, hey, look, I'm cute and sentimental. Oh, sentimental. I love it. Now you die. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're not exchanging gifts this year for Christmas. <laughs> Just so dolls. So Donna um, shared an apartment with this girl, Angie. Angie was also a, um, she, I think she was a nurse, like had graduated recently from nursing school, but was already a nurse. So the Raggedy Ann doll stayed in Donna's room and she would just like in the morning, she'd make her bed, lay the Raggedy Ann doll out, just like arms to the side, legs to the side, just let her do her thing. I don't still do that. Right? Just what, make your bed? I still have my stuffed husky from when I was little. That's awesome. That really is awesome. His name's Nanook. I have a teddy bear, but it's on the shelf in Dominic's room. He has a scarf that's made from a piece of blanket from my youngest brother's baby blanket. Oh my God, that's sweet. Y'all are cute. Mine's just a little teddy bear with opposable arms and it plays the teddy bear picnic song. And my grandparents brought it to me in the hospital when I was born. I have a bunch of stuffed animals, but they're all boxed up for when Adeline gets a little bit older and more responsible. So so back to cursed childhood oh, objects. Yeah. So we're talking about something here. She didn't really think much of it. It was cute. Whatever. Within a couple of days, Donna and Angie began to notice that there was something off about the doll. Donna would make her bed, put the doll down and like the arms to the side, legs out. And then she'd come back into the room and the arms and legs were crossed. Toy Story. Oh, what? <laughs> Could you imagine the crossover? Between Annabelle and Toy Story. <laughs> Jesus. They tried Woody to and Buzz, them. exorcism. Oh my God, no. <laughs> um, but there was also like they would go out for the day and come back and Annabelle's sitting in the living room. Oh, no. Uh, no. That's when you just leave. Goodbye, right? Annabelle. This is your apartment now. Close yeah. the door. Call the local church. Like, hey, a doll moved. Take care of it. Okay. So here's the deal. The doll's on the bed. You come in. The doll's on the couch. You leave. You come in. The doll. Raggedy Ann doll. If you guys have ever seen one, it's just like a flimsy doll. The doll is standing in the dining room. And that's when you salt and burn. Right? So the other times they'd leave and the doll was back in the room with the door closed. Like they'd leave her out and 
they'd come back and she's in Donna's room with the door closed. So I got a little freaked out. You think? So then things got kind of weird. They'd come home to find the doll had moved again and they'd find a piece of parchment paper. From where? Good question. It was written in pencil and like a childish handwriting. And sometimes it would say like, help us or help Lou. Lou was, some sources I found said it was Angie's fiance. Some said they were just, it was a friend of Donna and Angie's. But Lou despised the doll. Like the first time he saw it, he was like, that thing is creepy AF. Get it out of here. He has good instincts. Right. Listen to him. Right. Like Lou's smart. Then they started finding these parchment papers with pencil saying help us or help Lou. They didn't have pencils in the house or parchment paper. Like they had just like loose leaf paper or like spiral bound paper and pens, but no pencils, no parchment paper. They're students. How do they not have pencils? They just graduated. (laughs) So they were like, fuck these pencils. Instead of throwing the hats and they just like threw the pencils. Yeah. But like even I still have pencils and I use exclusively pens. I didn't have pencils in the house until I started drawing. Like I was searching for pencils so that I could draw and couldn't find any. So I went out and bought some. I'm trying to think if I have any. I have colored pencils. Do you have parchment paper? Yes. Technically. Weirdos. Use it for cooking. Doesn't your leather bound journal have parchment paper or is that just normal line paper? Oh, it's parchment paper. Okay. Maybe I'm a weirdo too. Weirdo. (laughs) Nerd. Uh, They think all of this is weird, but they're not too freaked out about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Donna and Angie came home one night and the doll, uh, Raggedy Ann, was on her bed, but they said it felt different and something just felt off. When they went and looked at her, on the back of her hands and on her chest were blood droplets. Salt and (laughs) burn. Run away. This is when they said, maybe we should seek some help. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Check it out. Mm -hmm. So like any good person would do, instead of throwing the doll out, they contacted a medium and said, let's hold a seance. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just be like, goodbye doll? Because it was a gift from her mother. That would be rude. Sorry, but, mom. Okay, but like if my mother gave a gift to me that started bleeding on my bed, I would be like, what the fuck, mom? Well, <laughs> oh, so I forgot to mention this. Before the blood incident, when the doll was just moving around and the, like the notes were appearing, they thought somebody was trying to fuck with them. So to be fair, I did have someone screw with me that way for like months before I figured out someone was screwing with me. Someone ever so slightly turned things on your desk. They did not make a doll, a Raggedy Ann doll, stand up in your dining room. Yeah, Yeah. but like, okay, if I had like friends over at all and they decided to move stuff to mess with me, like that would be my first thought too. But I don't have friends over. So if stuff starts moving, I'm moving. But how would you like have this Raggedy Ann doll stand? Or there was one time they came home and she was like kneeling by the door. The Raggedy Ann doll does not kneel. They couldn't recreate it. Like they tried to like set her up to where she was I would have been like, oh, bitch, you trying to get out? Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Salt. Uh, and and fire burn so they when they thought they were being fucked with they like would mark the windows a certain way so that they could tell if somebody got in and out through the windows they thought maybe somebody had gotten a copy of their key to their house so like they set the carpet up just so to where if you like tried to open the door it would fuck with the carpet so they could tell like if somebody was coming in and nothing i've done that before so they weren't being fucked with well, I mean, there were, just, not, right. by just not by a friend. They got a medium to come over, and the medium introduced them to Annabelle Higgins. 
Annabelle was a young girl that resided on the property before the apartments were built, said they were, quote, happy times. She was seven years old when her lifeless body was found in the fields upon which the apartment complex now stands. The spirit told the medium that she liked Donna and Angie because everybody else was just so consumed with going to work and getting work done. And she felt comfortable around them and like they were more welcoming and more loving and the spirit just wanted to be loved. Oh, sorry. I told you to go. Don't trust it. She asked permission to inhabit the doll and stay with them. Nope. Well, think about it. Donna and Angie are nurses and they spend their lives caring for people and trying to make people feel better. So they heard this story and it was like, oh, like the doll. Well, think about it. The doll's not doing anything. That's when you get a second opinion. (laughs) The doll's not doing anything. It's just moving around. Like it's not fucking with anything. It's leaking blood. Saying help us. So Lou on the Warren's webpage, which is Warren's plural Warren's dot net, which actually turns out to be Tony spirit.com mm-hmm. because he's the son-in-law that took over the website but they have Lou's account of this and he said that he thought from the get-go it was evil and they needed to get rid of it donna didn't really think much of it so she said nah it's all good i'm gonna keep the doll well lou awoke one night from a deep sleep and in panic he said it was from a recurring bad dream like this time like he couldn't move he was just paralyzed, which we learned about in sleep paralysis. <laughs> Are you okay, Rebecca? I don't like this story. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not to laugh at your terror, but <laughs> like did a gasp and then like swallowed at the same time. Drowned myself. I'm fine. It's all good. Uh, so he looked around the room, couldn't see anything that was out of place. And then he looked down at his feet and saw Annabelle. Nope. Was he at their apartment? Uh, so some of the podcasts I listened to said that he was at his house, but from the Warrens telling of it and the website, it seems like he was at his house or at their house. So, oh, this part began to slowly glide up his legs. No. Uh, move over his chest and then stop. The doll like reached up to his neck and the way he described it. He compared it to an electrical current, like one hand on each side of his neck trying to get like some kind of electrical current. That's how he described it. She was jumping his neck. Yeah. Annabelle started choking him. He said he was paralyzed and gasping for breath and couldn't breathe and he passed out, blacked out. He woke the next morning certain it wasn't a dream and he had little tiny baby hand marks on his neck. Marks on his neck. He was sure it wasn't a dream, but Donna and Angie didn't are you kidding me? It's a doll. Like sleep paralysis is a thing. It's Commutate. a doll that's obviously moving and we have confirmation is possessed, but you're fine. Well, this is where they finally are like, okay, maybe something's up. So Lou and Angie were getting ready for a road trip and they were looking over the maps at her apartment because, you know, they didn't have GPS in the 70s. So they were looking over <laughs> well, the maps. not in their cars. Trying to plan out their trip. And they said they heard something in Donna's room. It sounded like somebody was breaking in. He waited until he couldn't hear anything in the room and went in there to see what was going on. And he said, like, he looked around, searched everywhere, and, like, there was nobody in there, just Annabelle sitting in a chair. And then um, he said he felt, like, the tingles on the back of his neck, like somebody was watching him. Get out. And he turned around real quick and nothing was there. Uh, And then he started, like, screaming. He said there was this searing hot pain in his chest. He runs out into the room where Angie is and she rips open his shirt to see what's going on. And there are four horizontal claw marks on his chest bleeding and three vertical. And like they said they could feel the heat radiating from him and all this. Like there were no marks in his shirt. 
just his chest was like ripped kinky no it's like learning where to put the hickey so that the parents won't see it when you go home (laughs) it is so not the same thing okay (laughs) (laughs) different strokes for different folks rebecca okay we're talking about horny teenagers versus demons i mean potato potato yeah (laughs) have you ever been around teenagers they're kind of little demons anyway and uh, very horny so so don't relate these scratches (laughs) he saw them angie saw them they immediately called a high-ranking catholic priest priest thank you (laughs) i couldn't remember the right word for it He's, I fully expected you to say like diocese. What did she say earlier? Part of the Baptist. I don't remember something like part of the Baptist community or whatnot. I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember. It was but, really funny. Yeah. So they called somebody and they were like, "This is evil," and they're like, "Okay, we need to perform an exorcism." So immediately call or let me tell you what exactly happened. Please do tell us about your subject. i have my notes on here but i've just been like reading and getting distracted and not following along so by the time the father they called they called the episcopal priest named father hegan and he needed to contact a higher authority because he was like i this is above my pay grade so they called father cook who immediately contacted the warrens and was like this seems right up your alley can you come please help us they immediately rushed over. They saw the scratch marks, but by the second day, they were half gone. And by day two, they were fully gone. Like He's a fast healer. These things just disappeared. Somebody eats his Wheaties. Uh, that's not how that works. It was the 70s. Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure that it is. That's what they said happened. So it has to be true. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, it was on their website. Uh, I thought you were talking about eating the Wheaties. Like, <laughs> yes. Help, that's like, I missed <laughs> with demonic uh, possessions. <laughs> So they met with Donna, Angie, and Lou, and the Warrens immediately decided that the doll itself was not possessed, but manipulated by an inhuman presence. (gasps) Gasp. What's the difference? She told us the difference in her section. It's using the doll as a host, basically. Like, it's not like the doll is possessed where if they took the doll from place to place that the possession would follow it. Okay. It's the possession is there and it's using the doll to communicate and to host itself. Okay. So spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys. They possess people. An inhuman spirit can attach itself to a place or object and it manipulates the doll to create the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition. So, like, moving place to place within the house or, like, being by the door kneeling or standing or in different positions. It was just trying to get recognition. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Just give me attention when I want it. God, how do I relate to this Now I'm just imagining, like, slinking up onto Hagrid (laughs) at night being like, pay attention to me, inchworm, inchworm, inchworm. Pay attention to me, and You're not wrong. <laughs> usually it's more of like a barrel roll, though, because I usually have to get over at least one dog. <laughs> so usually I just kind of like wrap myself in my blanket and I'm like, one, two, three. I'm going to do it, doggy. Okay, and I'm moving barrel roll. I'm not as graceful as an inchworm. You're such a catch. <laughs> I know. He's so lucky. <laughs> so back to the spirit. It wasn't looking to stay attached to the doll. It was looking to possess a human. The inhuman demonic spirit was essentially in the infestation stage of the phenomenon. <gasps> phenomena. Dun, 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 dun. I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> 
If we first began moving the doll around the apartment by means of teleportation to arouse the occupant's curiosity in hopes that it would give them recognition. Recognition. So can I call our friendship a possession? Yes. Yes. Because that's kind of how it started. Because I started talking to Ashley and then this chick came out Tiffany, of nowhere. interim, interim, interim. <laughs> Pay attention to me. Don't get too close to my friend. Either Inchworm. stop paying attention to her or I need to be part of this attention. Please. Mm-hmm. So once they brought the spirit or the medium in to communicate with the spirit, like shit was over. The inhuman spirit was now able to communicate through the medium. It preyed on the girl's emotional vulnerabilities by pretending to be the young girl. And then Donna and Angie gave it permission to haunt the house after that or the apartment. The demonic presence obviously is negative it started causing negative phenomena to occur after that so it aroused fear through the weird movements of the doll brought about the materialization of disturbing handwritten notes the symbolic drops of blood on the doll and ultimately it even attacked lou and the marks that he left on lou's chest or it left on lou's chest the warrants called the mark of the beast i was wondering what the seven meant yeah that was the four horizontal and three vertical the mark of the beast the mark of the beast was 666 so 666 correct me if i'm wrong if you know or not rebecca but um 666 as the mark of the beast isn't mentioned in the bible anywhere not explicitly yeah but there is a lot of like numerology with seven i thought in the bible seven was supposed to be holy i'd have to look into it because usually seven is a holy number but in this specific situation i'm like run forest well i'm thinking about like a certain was it revelations probably that i read about uh, i read in where like there were the seven angels and the seven pillars and things like that i don't know anyway the warrens called it the mark of the beast make of that what you will the next stage of the infestation phenomenon would have been complete human possession uh, the warrens believed that if this had gone on for two or three more weeks the spirit would have completely possessed if not harmed or killed one or all of the occupants of the house <gasps> gasp Yes. So the Warren said, okay, cool. We need to do an exorcism. Cue 80s montage. <laughs> <laughs> Moving furniture out of the way, dusting and mopping. Yeah. Dusting and mopping. <laughs> Ed Warren. This is a quote from him. The Episcopal blessing of the home is a wordy seven page document that is distinctly positive in nature. Rather than specifically expelling evil entities from the dwelling, the emphasis is instead directed towards filling the home with the power of the positive and of God. So that's how they plan to get rid of the entity. So let God do the dirty work. Yes. So they did this. And then Donna was like, I'm still not comfortable. Can you please take this doll out of my house? So they did. That was nice of them. Mm-hmm. But the father that was there, Father Cook, was like, cool. This is, you know, we did the exorcism of the apartment, but I don't feel comfortable with you taking this doll home. Can you at least, like, avoid the interstate so that you don't pass by too many people in case something happens? Oh, good thinking. They ended up buckling up Annabelle in the back of their car and heading home. They said in no time at all, they felt like the doll was trying to attack them. Like, every dangerous curve, the car would swerve stall and every corner power steering would go out or the brakes would fail and this like the entire way home they were on the verge of collision so finally ed was like f this noise reached into his bag grabbed some holy water and just like doused the doll (laughs) made the sign of the crossover and it stopped immediately and they were able to get home safely is that like the equivalent of if you do not stop so help me (laughs) i will turn turn this this car car around maybe i just need to keep holy water in my car girl (laughs) (laughs) i am here for it 
I just picture them like riding up front like, so honey, how was your day? P- honey, stop. Mommy and daddy are talking. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I Annabelle. <laughs> daddy needs the brakes. We told you <laughs> to stop. We are going around a curb and this is going to be very... Da- Annabelle Lee. <laughs> Why is she got to be a Lee? Because it made me think of, what is it? Uh, wow. I was about to say Edward Norton poem. <laughs> Oh my God, Edgar Allan Poe! Thank you, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jiminy Cricket. Okay, so they get home with the doll, and Ed is like, "Cool, she's away from everybody. She's fine." And he just put her in a chair next to his desk. Apparently, the doll levitated a number of times. Then it would start like moving around the house. When the Warrens were away and had her locked up in the outer office buildings, they would return to find her sitting comfortably upstairs in Ed's easy chair. <laughs> This is my chair now. I'm sorry. They went to this exorcism, uh-huh. supervised it, said, we'll take the doll, but had like zero plan on how to deal with this. They weren't scared. They were not scared or scared. They were um, demonologists. The podcast I listen to, I'll have them linked in my notes, Kryptonauts. They uh, kept calling them the duo of demonology. And it made me oh, happy. that's cute. Mm-hmm. Annabelle, shockingly, was not a fan of clergymen. In one instance, Father Jason Bradford was a Catholic exorcist, and he came by the house to see the doll and talk to Ed. And they said he picked up the doll and said, you're just a rag doll, Annabelle. You can't hurt anyone. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Somebody else said that to him. Uh, I pulled this part from their website. Let me just say this about anything Ed and Lorraine Warren. It gets conflicting depending on where you hear it from. Yeah, no. So you would think their website... Um, would have like the most accurate stuff. But then you listen to interviews that they had and it's like they didn't know the internet was going to be a thing and cross-referencing and checking them <laughs> wouldn't and be a thing. In 30 years, there would be countless podcasts about them. Uh-huh. But I believe, let me find it real quick because Ed said that in an interview that I will also have linked in here, Ed said the exorcist, Catholic exorcist picked it up and said, God is more powerful than a devil and threw the doll across the room. Rude. Ed was like, don't don't say that. Please don't. And not throw my doll, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> After he left, he called Lorraine and said that he was involved in a near fatal accident just down the road that destroyed his vehicle. They think that was Annabelle. He said um, the last thing he remembers seeing before the accident was Annabelle in his rearview mirror. No. Spooky. Yeah. Then so they had um, they were like, well, shit. Annabelle like needs to be put in timeout. So yeah. they had a special case built, which is inside the occult museum. And that is where she stays to this day. Since the case was built, Annabelle no longer appears to move, but she's thought to be responsible for the death of a young man who came to the museum on motorcycle with his girlfriend. After Ed told him what was going on with it, the guy was like, uh, went up to the case and started like beating and banging on it and was like telling her like, you're just a doll. You can't do anything. Toxic masculinity (laughs) will get you murked by a spirit. Right? So... Ed was like, son, you need to leave. So he tossed out him and the girl. Turns out later they find out that the girl said they were laughing about the whole doll incident as they were driving home and got into an accident. And the guy who was beaten and banging on it flew headfirst into a tree and died. Ouch. She spent over a year in the hospital recovering. Wow. So don't fuck with Annabelle. Heard. They have a sign on there that says something like, warning, do not open. It's 
more extreme than that. Let me look it up real quick. <laughs> I meant to write it down. The extreme version of warning, do not open. Warning, positively, do not open. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so extreme. So extreme. <laughs> that sounds like something you'd say to sound t- tougher. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Positively, do not open this. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure I've heard her say, positively, go fuck yourself. <laughs> So this special case is made of glass and wood and it's inscribed with the Lord's Prayer and Michael's Prayer. And there is a tarot deck stuck to the front of it of the devil. Like the entire deck? or the No, card? Oh, I'm sorry, tarot, okay. tarot card. So Lorraine Warren has said that Annabelle will occasionally move around in her case, but for the most part, she's still. And supposedly someone once offered Tony Sparrow, their son-in-law, a million dollars for the doll. Nope. Well, he said, uh, no. So they said, okay, two million. And he said it would be, quote, totally reckless and irresponsible to let that doll out into the public realm. He is correct. Yeah. So doll's not for sale. There was a rumor circulating that Annabelle had escaped Mm -hmm. um, four days ago when we record this. So August 14th at 3 a.m. They were like, ah, Annabelle escaped. What's going on? So Tony went on and on YouTube and posted a video and was like, Oh, so you guys heard about Anna. Well, let me tell or Annabelle, let me tell you, like, it's crazy, but here it is. And then it, like, flashes and you see him behind her and or see her behind him. And he's like, it's not true. She's still here safe and oh, sound. Oh, like in the case. Yeah. But when it comes to all of this, the names of the young priest and the motorcycle or the names of the motorcyclist who died was never divulged. Neither Donna nor Angie or Father Cook or Father Hegan ever came out and talked about this to the public. So a lot of people doubt, since it's just Ed and Lorraine Warren's word, that this is a real thing. To that, Tony Spear has this to say. He likens the disturbing Annabelle to playing Russian roulette. There might be one bullet in the chamber. Do you pull the trigger? Or do you just put the gun down and leave the risk alone? I put the gun down. (laughs) In case you were wondering. That's how I feel about that. How Tiffany would play that game. That is Annabelle and a gist. There were a couple things I wanted to point out, though, that when listening to interviews of them talk about it that were a little different than what's on their website and what they said in other sources, Ed said that the girls or Donna would bring the doll once she got it, bring the doll to breakfast as a joke and say, oh, look, Raggedy Ann's joining us for breakfast. Um, And she did that for three days. And on the third day, the doll put its arms on the dining room table by itself. Feed me see more. Yeah. Um, he said they were intrigued by this, so they brought in a medium. And there was a six-year-old spirit killed in a car accident in front of their complex. So that doesn't match. But same general, general gist. So he also claims that he had a friend, because they worked with the police a lot to like do investigations. As you said, Lorraine was clairvoyant. Mm-hmm. So like she worked with them to help solve things. So they had this homicide detective friend who asked to see the doll. At that time, Ed got a phone call. So he's like, I'll be right back. Don't touch anything. He said he was gone max 10 minutes. He said, quote, 6'2 or 6'3 man was shaking and couldn't talk. He refused to tell Ed what was going on. But he told Lorraine and asked Lorraine never to say anything. And Ed was like, I didn't need him to tell me what happened. I went in there and everything was like turned over and knocked over. He touched the doll and she retaliated. And that's what happened. Like, I know it. And the detective resigned immediately after that and stopped working. Well, that escalated quickly. Yeah. So that's Annabelle. You can still go see her. She does not look like the creepy doll from the movies. No. But I would not touch that with a six foot pole. Well, you cannot go see her currently. We are going to go see her once it's available again. Yes. We? Yeah. Y'all. You're not going? No. Why? How do I want to go to this and you don't? 
because I'm a little worried about you after researching the subject. <laughs> well, friends, I need someone to go to paranormal museums with me. So if anyone wants to go to Zach Baggins Museum in Vegas, she can go to Zach Baggles with you, and I'll go Zach to Baggles. the. <laughs> I'll go to Ed and Lorraine's. Zach Baggles. Yeah, I like it. It's a good little uh, pet name for him. <laughs> Are you guys ready for the final Smurl story? <laughs> wow, give what? away the ending. I'm uh, talking about the Smurl family haunting. So this is immediately, I couldn't pinpoint what years this started, which had my radar go up, but we'll ignore that for right now. So these events took place roughly between 1972 through 1989 in West Pitton, Pennsylvania. Jack and Janet Smurl moved into a duplex on Chase Street after their home in Wilkes Bar suffered flood damage from Hurricane Agnes. So this is like northeastern Pennsylvania. So like the Scranton area. No! <laughs> I know that I place. I know that place. <laughs> they moved in on one side while Jack's parents moved in on the second side. So it's like split house. You're right. While the house needed a little HGTV style work, it was nothing the Smurls couldn't handle. The family consisted of Jack, Janet, their daughters, Don and Heather, Jack's parents, Mary and John, and the family dog who was a German shepherd. Oh, I don't like that already. Yeah, that's an important point. They set to work and in true spooky fashion, things just started to happen. Because what's like the best way to start having paranormal stuff happen in your Destroy house? Destroy their confines. Home renovate. Do you, how many of these things do you think HGTV has actually started? <gasps> Do you think it go? You know how obnoxious those HGTV hosts are. The ghost is probably like, nope. <laughs> Fair. So they started working on the house, <laughs> and things started happening. Tools would go missing and show up where they weren't laid down. Which mm. sounds crazy, but that happens to me all the time because I can't remember what I did from one room to the other. Yes, hard same. Wall stains would show up through fresh paint, like within minutes. Uh, strange. Did they have toddlers. No. Okay. So strange smells would randomly pop up, then quickly dissipate like a ghostly crop dusting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this all sounds normal in my house so Again, far. Go no on. Toddlers. Right? <laughs> There'd be door slamming, you know, the typical poltergeisty stuff. Uh. Again, this all sounds normal in my house. So while mislaying your hammer and not remembering where you put it is explainable, things started turning extra weird in 1974 when unplugged kitchen appliances started catching fire, specifically starting with a toaster. Oh. <gasps> oh, kitchen appliances. God damn it, this is us. What? <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to this is us in a really sad moment. All right, sorry. Continue. I love how you're you like handled Annabelle with like flying colors and now your brain is hardcore coping. I was really <laughs> confused for a second. I thought I didn't catch on to the uh, pop culture reference. Uh -huh. I was like, what did we do? What is wrong? <laughs> what is the significance between kitchen appliances that I'm missing here? I'm a horrible best friend. Oh, nope. Got it. Got it, Jack. Cool. Yeah, Got just it. trauma via TV. <laughs> So stuff started catching on fire. No big deal. Uh -huh. So while all this was happening, the family kept their lives going and all everything was looking pretty good. Jack got a promotion at his job. It's reported that he worked for Tops, who manufactured baseball cards. Hey. Cool. Um, and he found time to coach his daughter's softball team. In the meantime, Janet got pregnant, reportedly with twins, who were eventually named Karen and Shannon, and helped at the local high school. The girls were doing well and everyone was happy. And then... Or were they? 
So even though the family was happy, the family started having trouble making ends meet financially. On top of all this, Mary, Jack's mother, suffered a heart attack, causing her to start being homebound. It was unclear if this was like a necessity or a personal choice. Mm -hmm. So between renovations and family stress, the family was primed for any supernatural weirdness that was about to happen. Oh, Oh, sounds like it. Let's do this. Let's add some like super big stress and some like emotional things into this it'll be fine right it was not fine (laughs) what is it they say you're never given more than you can handle Mm, bish i think that happens sometimes i think there's maybe a little too much on the plate take some back (laughs) example a 2020 (laughs) right so in 1985 after spending years just dealing with ghostly things a tv set burst into flames (laughs) the final straw (laughs) right they can't watch this. As How us. dare you? Additionally, scratches starting showing up on walls, which means toddlers. There be demons. Oh no! <laughs> Toilets would flush by themselves. Well, that's sanitary. Might mean you have pets or toddlers. And rocking chairs would rock by themselves, which for some reason is more terrifying than the toilet going off at night. Um, a toilet going off would be questionable. Rocking chairs, meh. It's kind of overdone at this point. Uh, not if it's happening in your house. Are you saying there's a series of movies created off of real life events of a certain demonology duo? Huh. Duo of demonology. Weird. Huh. Something like that. Huh. I wonder what that's about. I don't know. <laughs> we should look into that. So the family started hearing voices, mostly Janet. She would hear the voices of her family calling out. Janet once reported hearing Mary call for her from the other room. There's another instance where Mary claimed that she overheard Janet and Jack, so husband and wife, arguing with colorful language. And this was a big deal because they grew up in like a Catholic household and like cursing was absolutely the fuck not allowed. (laughs) Rebecca, that was very colorful. I need you to to tone it back a little bit. I'll say a couple Hail Marys. It'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, Janet told her husband what was going on and was immediately dismissed because he thought she wasn't being honest. Well, I was going to say maybe she was suffering the menstruals, but if she was pregnant. Suffering the menstruals. (laughs) Yes. Hysteria. Yeah. It's a thing. I mean, like, my first thought was, like, is there just, like, a plague of, like, a group of, like, musicians in uh-huh. the town? It's like, nope, not. That's different. Yeah. Men- minstrel, not menstrual. Okay, um, I'm fine. Now, see, my first thought was, like, dude, what the F? But then I started thinking about it. And if I went to my husband and I'm like, I'm here and stuff and all, he'd be like, oh, Tiffany, you finally lost it. Okay. (laughs) We've hit that point. Good to know. Of course you are. (laughs) So Janet was hearing voices. She told her husband. Her husband's like, that's not happening. And she's like, okay. But Janet became the focus of these entities. One day, Janet saw a black shadow figure walk through the wall and into the other duplex where the parents lived. She ran into Mary when she, you know, ran from her house to the parent-in-law's house, who also said she saw a shadow figure come out of the wall and walk away. Again, their husbands didn't believe them. Hysteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do vibrators about it. So Do vibrators about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hysteria. There's worse ways to treat an ailment, I guess. I'm not making that t-shirt. <laughs> well, I might. It's hysteria. <laughs> Do vibrators about it. <laughs> So one night while laying in bed, Jack overheard a young woman's voice whispering. When he turned to his wife, who was laying next to him in bed, he reportedly saw a dark form run up his wife's leg. (gasps) Was it tiny? According to Janet, the shadow was an incubus that had been molesting her while she slept. 
Uh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> hysteria do incubus is about it. Oh my no. <laughs> I'll, I'll take prescription A, please. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a horrible person. It's fine. I love it. Moving on. It was at this point things decided to go darker than before because, yes, it can get worse. But wait, there's <laughs> more. So, a light fixture fell from the ceiling, cutting one of the daughters. Janet was reportedly picked up, dangled six feet in the air before <gasps> being thrown. No. While pregnant? They didn't specify. She okay. had those babies. Uh-uh. I'm sorry. Oh, no. The family dog. Nope. Was thrown. Again. Don't need to hear that. Anyway, moving on. The neighbors reported to hear screaming occasionally when the family wasn't there. Are you sure? It sounded like there was a lot of people that lived in the house. <laughs> reportedly. While watching a baseball game on TV one night, Jack claimed to have been molested by a succubus. He said that she had the body of a young girl and the head of an old woman. And I kind of liked it. Um, uh, uh, no, do vibrators. Not, <laughs> no. I don't think it was by choice. I don't care. <laughs> and once during a camping trip, a black shadow figure showed up. Nope. The While they were away from the house? Yes. Oh, no. The family decided to go home. <laughs> yeah. So they lived there with everything going on in the house. And they were just like, well, this is interesting. Let's go camping. And then something shows up at the campsite and they're like, run away home. Yes, basically. They're not the brightest family on the block, are they? I mean, they're a little stressed. That's but fair. Shit's happening. TLDR, they were terrified. Yeah. You think? So they contacted Ed and Lorraine in 1986. After inspecting the house, Lorraine concluded that there were four entities inhabiting the Smurls' home. First was an elderly woman. Second was a young girl who was potentially violent. You think? Third was a man who had died in the home after suffering through a horrible life. The final was a demon that controlled the first three. Oh, oh. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, no. Um... <laughs> The Warrens claimed that the house was possessed, and here's where I had the steps of, of possession. Yay. Which is infestation. You may notice or deny these things, e.g. cold spots, smells, etc. Second is oppression, is when the entity focuses on the weakest in the household and puts pressure on them. That person is the target. This so typically continues until the target is isolated and empty. Lou. But they're saying that Janet was the weakest? Yeah. Bitch, she ran that house. What are you talking about? Hysteria. Finally, they have possession. This, the demon is in charge and is here to stay. Professionals will need to be called at this point. Yeah. How about let's not let it get there? Also, a good plan. So during the investigation, Ed said he experienced the smell of rotting flesh. Ew. The Warrens also experienced blood-curdling screams at all times of day. Nope. Additionally, a mucus-like substance spelled out on a mirror filthy obscenities. Nope. Like, spelled out. Filthy obscenities in reference to the people investigating the house. Oh, they're trolls. I want a mirror that says filthy obscenities. <laughs> they're trolls. <laughs> a black spot showed up on the first night telling the Warrens to leave. And they said, no, bitch. We yeah, don't. basically they said no. During a group prayer, Ed stated, you filthy bastard, get out of this house. That sounds like an appropriate prayer talk. Right. <laughs> this caused the house to shake and two female ghosts dressed in colonial clothes walked through the house. This was the only time the female ghosts were seen and it's believed one of them was the succubus. Nope. <laughs> There's two types of people. <laughs> so prayer sessions, blessings, 
blasting Gregorian chants, which apparently is like awful to ghosts. It's like nails on a chalkboard. And exorcisms were held, but it didn't really help. The Smurls decided to make their story public in hopes that it would attract the attention of someone who could actually help them. In hindsight, it didn't work out for them. After they called the wardens, they pretty, were looking for someone much. who could actually help them. This might be one of those instances where the story got a little mixed up. Like the wardens were there and then the public, the publicity right. happened. Tomato, tomato, chicken, egg. Basically, they eventually got swamped by Lukey Lou's with cameras. Church representatives had no idea what was happening. Priests visited the home to perform blessings and reported no activity during their time there. In 1986, a priest moved in to experience the events for himself and left after two nights of inactivity. In 1987, the Smurl family left. Reportedly, some spirits followed them as an additional church-sanctioned exorcism was performed in 1989. Not to discount the experiences of the family, they have faced great scrutiny as to what actually happened. One thing to remember is in 1983 is that Jack underwent surgery to have water removed from his brain that was a result of having meningitis when he was younger. Again, doesn't explain what Janet and Mary experienced. I was about to say, but Jack wasn't the primary one. Yeah, exactly. Claiming there was activity. But he did experience some activity. So I guess it, this is a way to like debunk it. Prove that. So could this have been a result of misfiring neurons possibly for Jack? Maybe. But again, it's important to remember that the woman in the house were reporting activity before he experienced anything at Mm -hmm. all. Yeah. And finally, the movie The Haunting was released on TV in 1991 and can be found on YouTube. And this movie, which went straight to TV, is based on this story. Yes, there's a link in the show notes. Excellent. And that is the quick story of the Smurl household. Spooky. Don't like that. (laughs) Yeah, so I found an interview, and I don't remember what the interview was called, but there's a link in the show notes of Ed and Lorraine, and Lorraine is like epitome 1980s dress. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, yeah. Like big hair, red plaid skirt, shoulder pad, red jacket, like she's got it. Beautiful. But they're having this interview, and I'm sort of like sort of paying attention to it, sort of not, and like about three quarters of the way through, I hear the audio blip. And it just completely changed audio quality. And I'm like, hell no. And I stopped listening to it. And we're done with that. I'm like, but thank you. Oh, I want you guys to cover more paranormal stories. This was fun. So final thoughts on Ed and Lorraine. What do you think about them? I think the families that were experiencing these things did have stuff going on. But there's so many mixed sources as to some of the details, like, for example, I was a bit kind of confused as to why they were multiple years as to when the Smurls moved into their house. Like, I understand, like, saying a black shadow figure happened this time. Wait, no, it happened this time. But, like, when you move into place, you're either there or you're not. There's, like, a couple other details like that. I was just like, mm, this this doesn't line up Fair. quite right. That happens a lot with paranormal stories, though, I've noticed. Like, it's not just the ones that Ed and Lorraine are involved in. True. Yeah. A lot of things get mixed up because the stories get retold and everybody tries to take their own spin on it and blah, 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 blah. But um, I think they just get so much crap because of the sheer volume that they're involved in. Yeah. There's so many different things you can point at that have mm-hmm. potential inaccuracies or like, well, that could never happen or that's not how that works just because there's so much that they were involved with. Mm-hmm. I think that's why they get so much well, I did come across, and I didn't think to say the link, but I came across um, somebody talking about them, and they were like, they were the kind that, like, they would just show up 
and you could be almost done with the investigation and they claimed it as their own and left and that's why their numbers were so high and I was like I don't like even looking into Annabelle there's nobody that I can like corroborate this with but then I watched interviews of them when they were like 80 something I'm like you're so cute and I think you genuinely believe this and I Tiffany's gonna end up in a cult I really like them and I want them to have done everything they said they did and they just seem like that really cute old couple that like they argue over uh like things like oh you know when our daughter was 12 we did this no silly goose we took her to pennsylvania not to colorado oh yeah that's right that's right but we went to colorado at this point no silly goose i was texas like they were that cute couple and i wanted them to be perfect no silly goose (laughs) So yeah, I like them and they may be full of bull hockey, but you I can like still them. like someone as a person, but that doesn't mean that they're a hundred percent accurate every time. Maybe that's why I have such complicated feelings about myself. Because I like <laughs> myself, but I'm like, bitch, you do some crazy ish. No. <laughs> not you. Well, I think they were fun. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. And they had to have led quite the life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with all of the chaos. So well hopefully you guys enjoyed that little change in pace there. We are planning to be back next month with another special guest. So stay tuned for that. And on that note, remember friends, everyone has something that they find odd. Let us tell you why it's not. Or is sometimes. (laughs) Um, Let us tell you about it. Yep. If you have any questionable topics you'd like us to discuss, you can share them with us on any of our social medias. Links can be found on our website, thelatestestrange.com, or you can share them with us at thelatestestrange at gmail.com. Bravo for not looking at the the board. Ashley and I were both watching you and like nodding our head. Yeah, Yay. she's learning. I'm so proud. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you think we're doing a great job and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash the ladies of strange. Keep it strange, lovelies. Goodbye. Good for now. Hey, Tiffany. Don't say anything scary. Sleep tight. I hate you. (laughs) Good night. I hope bed bugs bite you. Or Annabelle. That was rude. I'm sorry. (laughs) 